Welcome to the Financial Planners Southeast Asia podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically within Southeast Asia. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Welcome to another episode of the Financial Advisor Southeast Asian Podcast. Gwen here, and today we have a financial advice unit manager under Blue Pearl 10 from ProLife UK here in the Philippines. Meet Keith Capoy. Keith, thank you so much for coming into the show and welcome. Hi, Gwen. It's my pleasure to be here. It's actually my first time to guest in the podcast, so it's yeah. Amazing. Mixed emotion, excited, nervous at the same time. <laughs> well, no worries because this is just like um, two people, two colleagues talking to one another. So I'm mostly going to ask you about the like your um, your story uh, as a, a financial advisor and as a unit manager. So I'll start off with that. Like, well, first off, how long have you been in the industry? All right. So as an agent, as a life insurance professional. I'll be turning seven years old this August. Oh. And as a unit manager, it's actually my third year, this mm-hmm. 2021. It's quite a long story. A lot of people will not um, believe that I'm actually a programmer. Before oh, just like me. Yeah. Just like me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah. I used to work behind the computer. You know our work, we, we almost all day, even... During our dreams, when we find a solution, we wake up at three hours of the day and just to, to, to see, uh, oh, is this working or not? So that was my life for about four years, working in Korea and going back to the Philippines, joining the family business. And it was a long story. <laughs> Why I came to life insurance, it was not actually something that I would thought I would be in, but I guess I'm here going seven years. So there must be a big reason, a mission, I believe, that I am here. Ah, that's wonderful. But like, so how did you get into from being a programmer? Because that is like behind the desk and, you know, you don't really interact with a lot of people. Um, I remember um, there's this running joke before uh, when I was also um, an IT student that we don't need legs, we just need our hands to code. Um, so what did... What happened that you transitioned from being a, a programmer to becoming like a financial advisor and, you know, like talking to people, approaching them, doing sales stuff? Yeah, as just as I said a while ago, when I never really wanted to be in sales, in the first place, I don't want to force people to buy something from me. I don't want to get, I don't want to get rejected. But um, just to go back um, to history, uh, right after I graduated from University of San Carlos, I worked directly with my Korean employer and he asked me to fly to Korea to work for him. At the same time, I studied for two years, master's in business while working for my Korean boss. So it was a, I believe, a, a happy-go-lucky life right back there in Korea. But then my dad called me and said, son, um, why not you go home to the Philippines? and join the family business. So we're actually into shipping brokerage. So as an obedient son, I went home. 
in the Philippines. In fact, I was offered a doctorate degree after the master's graduation, but I still followed my dad. So when I went home to the Philippines, um, life was so comfortable because I joined the family business. Um, our office is just attached to our house, so I can just wake up any time of the day. Yes, and then everything like, was, like any Filipino business. <laughs> yes, and everything was for free. You don't have to wear any uniform. So you see the, the income that I get from the family business directly goes to my bank account. Everything else, meals, um, load, car, gasoline, everything else was for free. Until in 2012, when my dad got diagnosed of cancer. It started with just a simple stomach ache, and it lasted for yeah. more than two weeks. So we had to bring him to the hospital. And after some scans and checks, we found out that there was a tumor about one kilo in size that needed to be removed ASAP. So it was already at fourth stage cancer. It was mm, yeah. the, the technical term was just gastrointestinal stromal tumor. So there was no technology or there were no available doctors who could attend to my dad at that time. So we had to bring him to Manila, St. Luke's yeah. um, mm. Medical Hospital, Medical Center. And there, to cut the long story short, the operation was successful. But you know cancer. Yes. It betrays you. So after almost two years, it recurred. It actually spread out to other parts of his body. So after almost two years... Even with all our efforts to find the best doctors, my dad lost a battle to cancer. And that was the turning point because we realized we spent so much. In fact, if I would mention the figure, we spent more than 8 million pesos for his medical expenses. And everything, not everything, but most of it came from the pocket. My dad only had a very small amount of HMO or health insurance. The rest were covered by our business. And so we had to give up a lot of things. We realized right after that my dad could have been insured and we wouldn't have to spend that much money. So a lot actually were sacrificed, including his retirement fund, um, the savings of his children, our business fund. And we know that it doesn't stop there. When the breadwinner of the family is out of the picture, how does the family sustain their living? So that's actually a different story because we were left with two younger siblings. One was who just actually graduated from high school and about to take dentistry. So imagine that. And that's another a big expense. Yes. And the younger brother actually just graduated from his four-year course and he was about to take proper medicine. So imagine two younger siblings, both in the medical field, and we expect um, big tuition fees. So without my dad, how are we going to sustain the kind of living? So we had to sacrifice a lot. We sold our properties. In fact, we sold several condominiums in Cebu, in Manila, cars. The most painful part, I guess, was selling our ancestral house in, mm. our, in our hometown. Mm. So there were a lot of sacrifices to be made because my dad, apparently, after learning all these years, failed to prepare for that incident, for that for that event. So that, that is what I always advocate when talking to my prospects, to my clients, that preparation is really key. No one really 
would know when that would happen. And no one is an exemption here. I believe I've talked too much. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Because I actually, you know what? Um, this is the thing that I really wanted to, to capture um, here in this podcast as well, Keith, because your story is very powerful. So most of us in the most of the financial advisors that I've talked to here in this podcast, and it's not aired yet. Um, most of the podcasts are upcoming, but most of them, um, and especially like the first episode, my first episode was actually my husband. Um, and he also lost both of his parents uh, to cancer on the same year. And they were all college students. Um, so the, you, we have like this similar thing that we only realize these things when it has happened to us. And, um, and we really want to um, be able to advocate that because we don't want the things that happen to us happen to other people um, as well, because it's very difficult. And as you said, you had to sacrifice a lot of things. And, um, and that I think is one of the reasons why it's very difficult for us, um, yeah, like for middle-class Filipinos to rise above that, that, that line, because we are not prepared. There are th- yeah, like resources that we could have gotten but because we're just not thinking about the future, that long future, um, and that what we fail to prepare, and if and if God forbid that happens to other people, the cycle goes on. And um, and yes, and be, that's why I really wanted to capture that because um, if other people is are able to um, listen to this podcast to your story, um, they'll be able to. Uh, think and maybe look back on what they could do or what they could have done and you know if if it's they're not going to do it for themselves then why not do it for their families right so uh, your story is very powerful and i know it's one of the things that has fueled your your passion for the mission because you've been in the industry for a long time and um jumping from uh, being a programmer, not talking to anyone, um, to really, because I know the, like, I, I know your journey because I was also a programmer and jumping into sales, like, and what you mentioned, like, you're really, like, you dislike, and I know this feeling, the dislike to push a product or, like, even your ideas to other people um, uh, and, and hopes that they would, uh, they would, like take your idea because you know it's going to help them um and it's actually very frustrating especially when you're new um and i guess that's like one of the things that i wanted to ask so because of your story i know that has fueled you to start um your career as a financial advisor but throughout the like the rejections and you know the the hurdles that you go through what made you stay I believe I found the, the love for this business. In fact, when I joined, I never really thought it would last this long. My very simple reason for joining that time was just to make sure that I get to apply for life insurance for my family members, for my mom and yes. my siblings. I get it discounted. You know, when you <laughs> I know, right? Them, the commissions go back to you. That was just my, my very simple reason. But you know what? After attending all the trainings and listening to different agents and hearing their inspiring stories, 
I realize that I'm into something much bigger than what I thought initially would be. So what what I thought to be just another source of income to be able to help my family. That time, I was no longer confident being a programmer because my life is so comfortable working with my dad yes. from the business. So I needed to find something to replace that programmer job or that job that I have been with my family. I, I work as an accounting manager in the family, although that is just a title. I don't really like that much. <laughs> yes. you know, living a comfortable life with the family it's so hard to transition to finally do something that I would really work hard. And coming into the life insurance industry, I realize that I have to approach people. And this is something that I am not comfortable doing. Uh, you mentioned a while ago about our work as IT. We work behind the computer most of the time. We don't really talk yeah. too much, right? And I felt when I joined the life insurance industry, Although it's not being said verbally, but I feel that my classmates, batchmates were kind of asking, why is he suddenly becoming an agent? <laughs> um, not to brag, but I'm one of those um, students in the past topping the list in the academic. So they're expecting much more than that. They're expecting me to rise above the ranks in the IT companies, maybe become a CEO someday. But hey, keep becoming a life insurance agent. Why suddenly? But I had to trust my gut. I believe there's a reason for everything why I came into this business. And over the years, I realized that it's really much bigger than me. It's really helping people. And the reason why I stayed with your question, I love being here. I love helping people. I love hearing their stories. I love sharing my story as well. We learn from each other. And right now, being a unit manager, I'm leading a young team, and I help them to be able to help more people. So my reach is becoming bigger because I don't do it just by myself. I now have a, a team of passionate young people who are also willing to help other people become successful. So right. you actually multiply yourself. That's a good thing. Yes. You become yes. a leader. Yeah, so I think that's what I, um, I also attended um, the a, a leadership seminar, and it's it's like being um, being a leader will enable you to replicate your success to other people as well, um, so that you um, because it's like a ripple effect where um, you don't only get to change the life of the people around you, but those. Uh, members or your team members that you've also um, that you're leading will also be able to replicate um, throughout the people that's around them. So you get to touch more lives in the process. Now, talking about your team, like how many uh, financial advisors are you um, currently managing? Right now, counting the the rest that are still about to be licensed, I would say an average around fifty. 15, oh, wow, that's a big 80% are millennials and 20% are Gen Zs. So you see younger people are really joining the business mm. because I can see a pattern that people would like to do something or a job where they find meaning and they definitely could find purpose here in the life insurance industry. Yes, that is true. So that's a really big um 
team that you're handling. And yes, you're right. I, I've noticed that, um, especially in the younger generations, we've deviated from, you know, working like our parents, like just working f- to get food on the table to working for a purpose. Um, and and th- as the generations um, gets younger, we realize that like a lot of financial advisors now are uh, in their early 20s, right? Whereas for, for us, um, or at least for me, I started in like in my, in, in my late 20s. And um, I've now heard that there are financial advisors uh, who started when they were 19. So that was very, uh, that's, that's really interesting too. I have a 19 year old. Oh yeah. And that's so young. So like, I know. And I was like, Oh my God, what was I thinking when I was 18? I was just thinking about like, like what, to do after class <laughs> so and i'm very proud of those like 18 year olds who have such a high vision like or such a far reaching vision that they can envision themselves helping others um when i was 18 it was very selfish like you know like, like what i mentioned games, just not that yeah, during our computer time. games and or yes yeah not that yet that was like the game for like my generation, our generation. Um, generation. (laughs) Yes. So um, I really like it's there. You can really see a a trend that's been going on. And like, I wonder, have you, or like, did you notice a surge of these like new financial advisors, um, young financial advisors coming in during the pandemic or even before that? I think even before that, but j- just one to, to trace it back when, when I joined in 2014, I noticed that I was the youngest. I joined at 25 years old. Most of my peers are on their 30s, 40s, 50s. So I thought to myself that the life insurance business must be for age. How, how should I term it? But at, um, middle aged. So middle aged people. But uh, as they say, young ones attract other young ones. So I was able to invite other young people, my classmates from college, from high school, and then it just multiplied. And I realized, I mean, I was amazed after so many years, wow, our our district, not just our brand, not just our unit, not just the branch, but the whole district is now recruiting more millennials. And I think it's really the law of attraction. Young people would be attracted to also young people. So it started around I think in my third or fourth year, so even before the pandemic, that more young people are actually joining. Oh, that's really good to hear. Um, and yes, because that would mean that we get to help a lot more um, people as the generations gets younger. But I'm also curious, like during the pandemic, have you noticed any attrition from financial advisors as well since you're um, managing teams now? Yes. In fact, I had a lot of agents not delisted last year because they were inactive. Uh, I believe after the pandemic, I know you could also relate, all of us can relate, that after March when it was announced that we would go on a lockdown, people kind of didn't know what to do. Uh, if the business would still go on, uh, we were waiting for for memo from, from head office on what are we going to do? How can we sell? Because we used to do face-to-face. 
But uh, I'm just thankful that the life insurance industry is fast enough to adapt to changes. And so non-face-to-face came in, but I noticed that a lot of my agents were actually diverting to other kinds of business, like selling food and whatever items available. As you can see, the marketplace is booming. Yes. Yes. So I don't know. I, I just lost a good number of agents last year, but it was also an opportunity to invite more, to recruit younger ones. Um, these people actually, the, the new recruits from last year, were the ones performing. And to my amazement, they are the ones who actually brought our team to a positive growth despite the pandemic. That's really cool. Um, and yes, because I asked this question because, as I mentioned, um, I think I mentioned this before we started the recording, that um, there was a mixed feedback between financial advisors, at least here in the Philippines. Um, some of them were struggling, but some of them were actually like saying like, my business tripled or it quadrupled during the pandemic, which was something that they never really expected um, because um, they thought that people would not really jump into the whole like Zoom meeting bandwagon, uh, but it turned out to be positive for their um, for their businesses. Uh, so, and I think because you mentioned that most of the advisors that you have, the younger ones, are the ones performing. Um, I guess that's also correlates to because they're really fast to adapt to the technology. Yes, that's actually a big that- factor. Young ones are able to adapt to technology faster than the not much younger ones. Yes, and and because um, even my husband said that although his business did grow during the pandemic, he's still looking forward to like those one-on-one um client meetings because uh, he's just that person who really likes to have that face-to-face conversation and i feel like um because uh, most of the financial advisors who's been in the industry for a long time is really used to that um kind of meetings that it's very hard to let go But, but I'm very happy that there are new advisors coming in who is willing to. And I think now it's the norm, right? Um, Zoom meetings are the norms, um, like this, the, the one that we're doing right here. And I think like even the podcasts are growing during the pandemic. And so that's very interesting that um, a certain like global event can do a really, really big impact um, for better or for worse. While we're talking about this, by the way, about, you know, talking to clients, are you still doing financial advice um, and acquiring clients while you're um, managing teams? Yes, I still do. For seven years already, I'm still consistently, um, how do you call this? consistently qualifying to the National Achievers Club. So that's actually our, what we say, the gold standard for financial advisors to actually achieve in True Life UK. So I'm happy that even, or despite being a manager, I'm still able to sell. Um, But this is really smart prospecting. I don't hustle as much as when I was a rookie or on my first to third year where I really 
look for clients every single day. Right now, I just talk to my existing clients, ask for referrals, and I'm also amazed that maybe because of my social media presence, some people just just message me and ask Keith, how can I start my plan or Keith, how can I join you? So I'm happy that I'm actually creating an impact on social media. So it's becoming easier over time to actually get more clients. Yes, I do. I do notice that that uh, most of the financial advisors that I've um, talked to said that after a, a number of years in the industry, they now don't really need to advertise their services as much because they mostly get their clients through referrals. Um, and it's very interesting that. And I know that it's because you know your your previous clients has um, you've already gained their trust. You have a really good relationship with them, and so it's easier for them to um, like trust you with their referrals. But in in your opinion, like how do you or how do you think you're able to do the work where you were able to reap? the rewards in the future like what were your best practices that you think that you that has warranted you all of these referrals it really all boils down to quality service keeping in touch with your clients even as simple as meeting them on mother's day father's day christmas birthdays important events these are important touch points you don't actually have to meet them every time like on a scheduled um, basis, like once a year, there are actually so many ways to keep in touch with your clients and them knowing that you are in touch, that you care, especially during the pandemic last year. Just a simple, how are you? I hope you're safe and healthy. Would mean a lot to them. Would would bring a message that, oh, hey, my, my financial advisor is not only closing a sale for me, he was not just up for the commission, but he really cares. So from time to time, like um, just randomly sending some gifts, maybe food panda, <laughs> um, deliveries, uh, it would make them really happy. In fact, last year, I closed with one of my biggest clients. I just sent a basket of fruits <laughs> and it made him so happy before the closing. I think that basket of fruit, which actually cost less than 500 pesos, was actually very crucial to closing that sale. So, you know, there, it's really all about relationships. Uh, when, when you build that, the trust, the confidence, and the right relationship with your clients, they would be so willing to refer you to their friends, to their relatives. And so they become your, your, your future clients. Oh, that's good. And I'm sure that you've already um, provided or given this advice to your team as well. And, and they're, they're doing that too. But I'm wondering, do you have a certain criteria for um, the the team members that you brought into your team? Like, do you have an ideal financial advisor that you want to like train and mentor? So far, I'm not very choosy, but I get to attract really young people. I believe the oldest in the team is still around the millennial age, 35 or 37. The youngest is 19, so I have no problem with age. Mm. Uh, what I really want from someone who would join the team is commitment with time and a fast internet connection, especially uh, yeah. during this time. Like now. Doing, <laughs> yes, non-face-to-face, plus we have a lot of trainings online. 
and everything is done over Zoom. Zoom demands a lot of bandwidth, so it really requires a strong internet connection. Otherwise, there's no point joining when you cannot even join the trainings. So internet is very important. Aside from that, commitment to time, attendance to trainings, strong internet connection, attitude. I believe you will feel it during the interview uh, that this person is teachable enough. Is this yes. person um, willing to learn? Is this person willing to unlearn things and learn new things? I believe um, it's the end of the day. There is no perfect criteria to bring in to qualify if this recruit is the right one. You will just really know during the process when he becomes an advisor himself, he gets licensed and he goes through all the things, does prospecting and approaches people and does presentation. You will know right then and there, oh, this agent will really last in this business. But of course, as yeah. a manager, you know, our job is to develop people. So if there are some weak ones, we have to make them stronger. If there are already strong ones, we develop them to even become stronger. I really find it interesting that you mentioned the word teachable. Um, and I think that's very, um, that's very important because financial advice is relatively like a, a new in a type of industry here in the Philippines, although it's been around for a long time, but um, it's just now in our generation, I think that it's been shed a lot more light um, and it entails you to be able to, as you mentioned, unlearn and learn new things because we also had a lot of taboos around financial advice before, right? Um, around like the insurance industry, um, investments and all that stuff. And yes, I believe that being teachable is one of those uh, prerequisites to, um, I guess, to this, to, to this industry. And be, having been said that, um, so you have a team and you have 50 people that you're leading. Like, is it difficult to like manage all like 50 people? Because I know like you have to like, I would like, let's say these 50 people are all teachable, but they still have different um personalities different um, learning styles so how do you go about like managing all of them when it's really challenging managing different personalities especially during my first year i'm the type who i'm a performer i'm an achiever so i wanted my agents to be the same but you have to accept the fact that there are agents who are not like you who are a weak personality or maybe just lazy, so that's actually my pet peeve when... Unmotivated. <laughs> when you know that they need the money, when you know that they need to do or work hard in this business, but they're not doing anything. But you know what? I learned to be patient and to be more understanding. Um, it's not just about requiring them to pay you. You get a sale every month. You be consistent and be active. It's really becoming more of a person, being a human. Um, I'm not here just as a leader or as a, or as a manager. I'm here as your friend. So I get to that level of understanding them on a deeper sense, becoming a friend. Because when you have that good relationship with them, 
you can actually influence them to make mm-hmm. a sale. Yeah. So yeah, I gotta break that the crust because people kind of put a wall. Um, they don't want to be bossed around, right? Especially these millennials. They want a a leader who could actually be a good friend with them, someone that they could have fun with, someone that they could confide with. So I'm actually learning a lot, and it's my third year, and I know I still have a lot to learn. And I'm just thankful when you said, um, is it difficult to manage? Yes, I would say very challenging, but I got help from my fellow managers. So our branch, we have five unit managers, and we help each other with the trainings. So I don't just, we share the burdens. So every time there are new rookies, we, we actually put them in a program good for one month where they learn all the basics. So we take turns in training. And that's a good thing about it. There's collaboration. So it's no longer that, that difficult when, as when I started. Oh, that's really good because, um, you know, you mentioned that you have other unit managers and you guys have each have your own strengths and it's really nice that you spread out like the load of training these new people because you might be good at this particular topic or um but there's also another type of person who is really who really excels in an in something else that and that something else might be very good to share with with your new financial advisors, and therefore you get to train a really like robust financial f- group of financial advisors who can, you know, and again what what we mentioned earlier, um, replicate what you do um, and provide. Uh, more impact to other people. So I really love that idea that you get to collaborate and there's no competition with um, other unit managers. Um, and instead you collaborate with each other so that you get to help the, the ones that are coming in. And because of that, like aside from um, financial advice, obviously. Does your does your team or your branch offer an ongoing service package for your clients? Actually, we we just did last month a millennial money talk. It's a branch wide event, so it's a financial wellness forum specifically for millennials. Mm. So we actually um, send invites via our Facebook page, Mutual Ten. And people get to register via Eventbrite. So it's actually a fun activity, especially for people who don't know what to do with their money, especially the young ones. They like to spend their money on gadgets. Ah, so. Yes. so what we <laughs> YOLO. Teach, yes, YOLO. What we teach in that seminar, in the forum, is for them to... There's actually a checklist in their journey to, to becoming financially successful. So I believe that counts for the, for the package you're talking about. Yes, and um, and that's why I ask about this is because uh, it's it's one of those things that I think really helps a business grow um, if we are able to give more um, or or at least give back more than we receive because in the end it circles back to you. So and I'm I'm happy that you were able to um, share that to us because it might be it's a really good idea to target millennials because they're the ones who are actually 
carrying our economy here in the Philippines. As you mentioned, they're the ones who are spending a lot. Yes. And uh, most of them are all also working in, uh, in really good jobs now because they are choosy. <laughs> so, so they're more choosy. Like, I, re- I really remember this. Um, I also, like, I worked for BPO. And now, like, my cousin who's in the, uh, the younger generation um, is also looking for jobs. And she's very picky on the jobs. Like, she has a lot of these qualifications. And I, I remember myself um, looking for the like a list of the BPOs that are out there and just hoping that one of them might take me. <laughs> and here's like this younger generation, like looking and picking out the ones that she likes. So there's like this, uh, a really shift in, in mindset. And, and I, a really good salary. Yes. Yes. They're, they're that generation so but but it's really important as well that we educate them because we already know we've we've done the work um we've we've done our research we're already financial advisors like um some financial advisors even became financial advisors just because they want to learn more about money right and uh, what better way to give back than to teach the younger generation and make them more accountable and make them more um, educated with their money so that they can um, become better spenders, be more, I should say, yes, become better spenders, wiser with their money. But, and so that's really like a good example on, on programs that your, your team or your branch has raised for the community. But um, aside of, by the way, aside from leading financial advisors, like, do you have any types of services that you yourself offer? Hmm. Other than life insurance? Mm, I don't. I am I'm actually a full-time. Oh, so you're really focused. Yeah. yeah. You're laser focused. Like right now I'm busy with, recruiting more people when you said 50 is, is a lot in fact in true life that's really small a small oh if you, if you look at the top teams in our company they would have 200 people in their team oh so 50 wow. is really it's really just average <laughs> so i have but to, you're still starting out so, yes. <laughs> so we have to keep up we have to keep mm. up with that with that so, um, standard, especially done in Manila. We're so fast at recruiting. A lot of millennials are now joining. Of course, with more recruits, means to say we have a lot more reach. We'll be able to help a lot more people. So I believe that was the secret formula of through last year, being the only company to get a positive growth despite the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yes, Is that yes. because we continued to recruit young people? So we have more soldiers to reach out to potential clients. Yes, because, um, and I understand this, that recruiting new financial advisors are important because there are some who, you know, if you're, you're, we're going with the soldier analogy, some soldiers get tired. Yes. Um, and so you will need new ones to like carry on the mission. Um, while maybe other soldiers recuperate or yes. some, you know, change trade. Um, but at least there are still new ones who can carry on with the mission. And um, from these soldiers, you can have like the best of the best, right? Like there are really financial advisors out there who's um, like, as you mentioned, like 
you're the type of financial advisor who's really like competitive uh, within yourself. Like you want to be at the top, but there are some financial advisors who are not. Um, uh, maybe they're just happy with having like one client or two clients a month. So um, it, it really depends on the strengths of your soldier. So right now you're laser focused on like recruiting more and getting your message out there um, through your financial advisors. Now, I guess aside from, you know, leading teams and recruiting more, like what are your plans in the future, by the way? My plans is really to make my teammates successful. Um, as I said in my vision, I always share it during our meetings, is we want to be a globally recognized financial a team of globally recognized financial advisors what i mean to say is we want to be mdrts uh, and yes. the million dollar on table i'm sure you know yeah. about that yeah uh, it's what i really aspire for my teammates so i don't want them to just how do you call this be satisfied or content with okay i'm a national achievers club you can still go higher and i believe mm-hmm. mdrt is really the gold standard that everyone in the insurance or in the finance industry must aim for. I would want to bring them to the U.S. or to other countries and join that um, MDRT annual meeting. So that's my goal, to really level up the, the caliber or the quality or the performance of my agents so that someday they would also do that to their recruits, or to, their, uh, to their respective teams. The goal of every leader is to make their teammates more successful than them. Mm-hmm. So I still have a long way to go. It's still my third year and it's getting more exciting, getting to work with more diverse um, personalities. People, in fact, I have met last year some really interesting people who have more passion than me, in fact. Ah. It inspires me to, to do more. So that's actually the good thing about recruiting because when there is a new blood and they are so pumped up, they're so passionate, they actually infect the older agents who actually step up. So I'm looking forward to really meet more passionate people, people who are dreamers, people who are driven, so that we can develop that, how they call this, this dynamic team of young professionals. So that's my goal. Um, it's a long way to go, but um, let's just take it one step at a time. Yes, definitely. And I, I, I'm really happy and I support you 100% on, on your journey and your, your goals because we do need a lot of people to educate um, other Filipinos on the value of financial advice. Um, and at the same time, you know, people say that you become a financial advisor because the commission is good, but... Really, if we can earn, why not? Like people think of it differently because we are here in the industry to help other people, um, and we just want other people to realize that. Sure, there's a big commission that we get. Actually, it's not that big sometimes. <laughs> so, it's a reasonable, yes, uh, commission that we that we get from from say a sale or from a client but in truth um what we really want uh, to send a message to is that our commission is not 
would not compare to the to the money that you get to save um, with the product that you've um, that we were able to provide for you, right? So it's good that like if we can get more people to tell that message or to um, yes to tell that message to other people, then um, I really like one of the goals I feel like as a financial advisor is to raise the 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 economy and the um, the level of the the lifestyle that we feel as Filipinos should be getting right like by now um, and I think that the investments the proper investments and the right insurance is is really going to help us with that but yeah so thank you so much for being here and oh one more question before we 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 end the show Keith is that what would you offer as your advice for for individuals that are looking to become unit managers so like for for your team members who want to step up and become unit managers I think I was asked this question so many times because the fear of every agent wanting to become or planning to become a unit manager is will I be able to make it? Am I really um, up to becoming manager? Like a lot of people would not want to sacrifice their time because being an yeah. agent is, you see, being so comfortable. I remember being an agent, there were so many days where I don't work and then I hustle again because you see, when, when you close the right amount of sales, you know, okay, I'm reaching this income, I'm going to rest, I'm going to work again. So there's not much consistency. But when you become a unit manager, you really have to extend your time because there are agents who, who call you in the middle of the night asking for assistance. Yeah. You have to be there for them. So my question for you who are planning to become unit managers, are you willing to sacrifice your time? Because you're going to have to, especially when you're starting. But later on, I promise you that you're going to find that groove. You're going to find the system where everything will be in place. You're going to find sub-leaders in your team who will help you. It's not, the load will not be shouldered or carried on just by yourself. You have a team of people who will help you. So always remember you're not alone. And I believe the, 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 the core of being a leader is really, do you have a heart to serve? Are you willing to be a servant leader? You're not just there to boss around, but you're there to help them. Focus on helping your teammates, and you will be successful. That will just be an effect if you help your team become successful. All right. Thanks so much. So that's well, very well said. And thank you so much for coming into the show, Keith. I have learned a lot from from your experience and from your knowledge as a unit manager. And I hope that our listeners will um, has learned a lot from you as well. But if ever we have listeners who wants to reach you or want to know more about you, how can they like contact you or um, where can they get to know you better? All right. So, Gwen, thank you so much for this opportunity. As I said, it's my first podcast. And oh, you did good. so well. <laughs> I'm feeling good after our interview. So, they can reach me through Facebook to search for Keith Kapoy. And should I give my number? Or you can email me at keithkapoy at gmail.com. So, it's Kilo Echo, Indigo Tango Hotel, Charlie Alpha, Papa Oscar, Yankee at gmail.com. 
All right. Thank you so much, Key. So I also put all of those information in the show notes to this podcast so you can, uh, the listeners can check it out anytime. So thank you so much again for coming into the show and you have a wonderful day. Thank you, Gwen. Gwen, God bless you.